2: Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE. Energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. I'm Ed Kles with my friend and co-host Ron Baker. And on today's show, we will be free riding on the news. Well, happy Friday, Ron. You too, Ed. Happy free rider. Always good to do a free rider show. I yep. love surfing the news and trying to figure out what we're going to try to chat with each other with. And Normally, you and I talk a lot during the week, but I, I was, out, was out teaching a consulting class most of this week, so this is the freest, writerist we've ever been.
3: <laughs> well, my stack of stuff is uh, voluminous, Ed, so I doubt we'll get through it all. <laughs>
2: it's bulging. Okay, well, then I, l- let me just give the phone number out if anybody wants to call in and share their thoughts with us today. The number is 866-472-5790, and we'd love to hear from you. You can also follow on the, along on the show at hashtag AskTSOE, and we will will monitor that today. And we want to let you know that please do get a hold of us at AskTSOE at Verisage.com if you send us emails and stuff, although we probably will not get to them during the show if you send emails in. But if, you, uh, if you've used the Twitter hashtag, we're probably going to get it. But uh, Ron, go ahead. Why don't you jump in since your your stack is bulging? I have some stuff, but but yours is bulging. So go ahead.
3: <laughs> well, I'm going to start with one from our listener, Bill Getch. I hope I'm saying that right. Thank you, Bill. He sent. Uh, he said I've become a true de- devotee of uh, to TSOE and I purchased uh, TSOE Dialogs, which is our book, and implementing value pricing. So thanks for your perspective. His his biggest uh, customer Ed, is. Uh, a firm primarily with uh, 50 plus former Big Four CPAs, he says. So you have helped keep me sane in dealing with them and trying to transform them, <laughs> transform them to move towards the knowledge economy. Anyway, thank you so much, Bill. And and he sent me an article at about um, from Harvard Business Review, and it's actually from January February 2014 issue on how Netflix reinvented their HR. Mm -hmm. And it was basically just corroborating uh, one of the constant themes of this show about how many companies are getting rid of their annual performance appraisal, you know, the whole Kabuki theater. And this article is actually written by Patty McCord, who used to be the chief talent officer at Netflix. And uh, it was her and Reed Hastings, the CEO who put together, and you've probably seen this on the web, it was a PowerPoint deck about how Netflix dealt with its culture. And they had five tenets of dealing uh, with talent, their approach mm-hmm. to talent. And I'm just going to uh, rattle them off, because it, it. what I love about these is just common sense. Right, <laughs> right. Right. This whole right. article is just nothing but common sense. and And the first one is, Hire, Reward, and Tolerate. Only fully formed adults. In other words, one of one of Reed Hastings' comments was, "You know, we HR spends so much of its time dealing with the three percent of the troublemakers, right? Mm -hmm. So they have all these systems in place to deal with that." He says, "Don't hire them in the first place." (laughs) There you go. And and he said, uh, "And the second tenet is tell the truth about performance." And uh, I guess Reed Hastings has a, a prior history in HR. Uh, And he says, building a bureaucracy and elaborate rituals around measuring performance usually doesn't improve it. And interestingly enough, Netflix went to 360 feedback. Now, first they did it anonymously, but then they went to signed and then it started to just be face to face. So it was just an absolute continuous feedback loop. The third tenant was managers own the job of creating great teams and there was no performance bonuses at Netflix. They, they paid based on market-based pay. And they let employees select the percentage of equity that they wanted. So if they wanted stock options or things like that. And the thing that interested me about that was if you selected that, there was no vesting. There was no vesting period. They vested immediately. So, there was no trying to hold people with golden handcuffs to, you know, some type of equity arrangement to their compensation. And the fourth tenant is leaders own the job of creating the company culture, not so much the HR department. And the fifth tenant is good talent managers think like business people and innovators first and like HR people last. (laughs) and. Reed says, you know, I've known a lot of HR people in my life. I love them. He says, but I've never seen an HR initiative that improves morale. <laughs> and he but but then he he kind of says in this article there's no reason the HR team can't be innovative too. And I'm thinking, hmm, kind of going back to our Milton Friedman show. You're kind of asking for a cat that barks, aren't you?
2: Yeah, um, well, I don't think so though. I think that HR can be innovative. I think that what happens in HR at least my perspective on things is that there's unfortunately a, a lot of, of me tooism, best practice type stuff yep. that goes on in HR and that it, it circulates quickly so once one organization thinks it's a great idea to have a company picnic then all of a sudden everybody, oh we got to have a company picnic where everybody can, and and what's, what's interesting is that in the organization where that first did the company picnic, it was probably a, a grassroots ground, ground floor type thing where everybody really wanted to get together on a Saturday and play some softball. And so it worked. And then the next thing you know is like, oh, that's a good idea. And then, then, it, then it became like this forced thing on an organization that really didn't have a culture that would support that. And in the end, it ends up backfiring on people.
3: Yeah, he does, and he even actually uses those uh, almost exact words about how HR is very me too, you know, copycatting and and all of that. Um, Interestingly enough, Schumpeter, you know, the columnist from The Economist, wrote uh, an article on this in the February 20th issue, um, called it The Measure of a Man, and said, you know, the death of performance appraisals have, has been greatly ex- exaggerated basically and mm. in this article and i find this is asking for a barking cat and I'll, I'll tell you why i think that but one of the things i found funny in this article he said he quoted a guy kevin murphy who's kind of an hr you know uh, business guru at the colorado state university and he says performance reviews are an expensive and complex way of making people unhappy <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I'll give you an hallelujah, amen. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, kind of, that's as good as uh,
3: Goddard's uh, you know, rain dance, right, for budgeting. Um, yeah. But, Ed, it's interesting. IBM, Accenture, Adobe, Deloitte, GE, now Microsoft, and Netflix have all dumped their annual performance appraisals. And now what this guy, Schumpeter, is saying... He said, they're no more getting rid of their performance reviews than someone who shifts from whiskey to wine as a teetotaler. <laughs> mm, okay. he, he says, they're, they're still in there. They just come under a different guise. They may not be annual, but they're still happening. And and of course, you're assessing people's performance. I mean, that, that kind of goes without saying. The question is, if is if you need this big apparatus. And Schumpeter, who I normally find very, very innovative and very right on, i think he's dead wrong on this he he quote he ends the article by quoting bill clinton on affirmative action and if you remember this clinton said mend it don't end it in other words and and you know i just come back to this idea there's no good way to implement a bad idea this is a flawed idea the annual performance appraisal as we dealt with on our show and i just don't think it can be amended you know mended it it's decrepit
2: Yep, I, I agree with that. I mean, and and I think that maybe the the operative word is annual, right? It is w- once once that's in there, is this annual performance appraisal thing? Then it's this is basically forcing managers to have at least one conversation with somebody during the year, and then it spirals out of control from there. Uh, I I guess I I, I see what Shepard is saying because as you were talking about this, Ron, I was I was a little bit skeptical of. The litany of, of organizations that you said are getting rid of their performance appraisal and and my my thought exactly went where they, where Schumpeter says, which was yeah they're probably in there under a different name, but if it's true that what they're doing is performance appraisals in real time and and strongly strongly encouraging leaders and managers to have regular conversations, and that that's really what is being replaced with, then. Then I'm good with that. I think that's great. It's really the 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 annual piece of it that forced one-time conversation that makes me the most crazy.
3: Yeah no I and I agree with that and 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 I think they are at least if you looked at the long HBR article on Deloitte uh, they did and in fact Schumpeter mentions this they did add more frequent meetings and and Schumpeter's point was well gee adding a, an, another meeting to people's schedule doesn't sound very efficient you know we already are over meeting but the thing that amazes me out of all the companies I've read that have dumped or replaced the annual performance appraisal not one of them that I can see has implemented the after action review.
2: Mm, at least, not none that have have come out and said that that that's what it. they're implementing. They might they might be using a, a variation in slightly different format. So, I I, I will say this: I did I did did see that article. I didn't read it as in depth as you did. I just kind of scanned the headlines. But there were there was one thing that really jumped out at me. And they, which was the, the, they put this, this deck together, their culture deck. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions, I don't know if you recall this, that the interviewer asked, uh, Hastings was what, what was, what idea was the hardest to sell with the employees? And this was it ready adequate performance gets a generous severance package.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was very interesting part of that article.
2: (laughs) And you know, and, and it also seems, and we'd, we'd have to, to check in with our friends at uh, Culture RX, but it seems like they've also implemented, at least to a certain extent, a row because they don't have specific amount of paid time off. That's gone too, right? That that was one of the other they things did. that jumped out at me at this article is that it was it, it, they mentioned that.
3: They got rid of the vacation pay, and the, and the bean counters told them, oh, you can't do that. Sarbanes-Oxley says you can't. Why is everything blamed on Sarbanes-Oxley? Uh, but it, they found out that California has no laws on this, and they were able to just absolutely dump it. So... They did so. Yeah, they do kind of have a mini row in there. I'm not sure how full blown it would be uh, compared to a normal row, but it, it seemed pretty innovative. And and the th- again, I just think this is common sense stuff. I mean, I realize people are are messy. You know, it's one of my favorite lines. Um, and you know, we're never going to you, you, you deal. You hire somebody, you get their emotions, not just their hands or their brain, even. Um, so there's there's no panacea here, but. To 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 overlay this big bureaucracy of the annual performance appraisal, I just think has been a just a complete disaster, and still a ton of companies use it as as Shumpeter sites. It's still in the high nineties or you know mid ninety percent that that use this.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and I think we're well, we're definitely in agreement that 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 has got to go. That that has got to go. So, all in favor, say aye, aye, <laughs> aye. <laughs> Well, thank you, Bill, for that, and thank you for
3: listening, and uh, we really appreciate having you out there, and uh, good luck with your largest uh, accountant or your largest customer made up of uh, a bunch of CPAs. Hopefully, you can convert them someday.
2: (laughs) Yes, good luck with that. Well, anyway, folks, we're up against our first break, so we want to remind you that you can look for us on the web at com, where we will post all show notes, including the show notes for the articles that we referenced today on Free Rider Friday. Please do hashtag AskTSOE, and we want to keep those reviews coming on Amazon for the book, Dialogues on Business in the Knowledge Economy, and, of course, the reviews on iTunes as well. And you can get to our iTunes podcast at thesoulofenterprise.com slash iTunes. But right now, we want to hear from our sponsor, Leading Results.
3: Well, welcome back, everybody, to Freerider Friday. And I'd like to remind you, you can contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. And just like our email from Bill, we've gotten a few others uh, over the course of the last week. Um, Even some, Ed, on the show with Paul Kennedy, which was fantastic. It was really fun to be over there in London and do that show with him. I really enjoyed that. Um, But, Ed, so what's up? What do you have for us?
2: Well, I've got something, but before I say that, I just want to say if if those of you who are listening and you have not listened to the Paul Kennedy show, please go back and listen to it. It was, I I think, one of our best shows because he did such a great job describing what the the, the firm of the future should look like actually, it's really the firm of the now because th- y- if, if your organization isn't moving in that direction, you need to be. But and, anyway, and, and they've been the firm of the now for t- you know 13 years. yeah, I mean, exactly.
3: It, it was the easiest <laughs> interview we ever had to do because Paul Kennedy is just a font of you know wisdom, I think.
2: Yes, yes, yes. Well, with one exception, it's possible the Rory Sutherland interview was easier simply because all we had to say was, Rory, go. (laughs) True. (laughs) We didn't really really say anything after that. Anyway, what I've got up here, Ron, and this is from the Huffington Post. Headline here is, Google is pressing feds to get driverless cars on the road. Apparently, uh, on Tuesday, I believe it was the 16th or so, I have to look at my calendar, Google was presenting before Congress to make their case for why the Secretary of Transportation should shift more quickly to allowing driverless cars on the roads nationwide. And this is a quote from the article, "This new authority would permit the deployment of innovation, uh, in, I'm sorry, innovative safety technologies that meet or exceed the level of safety required by existing federal standards while ensuring a prompt, and transparent process so I'm hopeful that they made their case and they made it well I'm I'm always happy to see in some way a, a, a company get involved in pushing things forward and hopefully getting some entrenched incumbents out of there which is of course is traditional car companies but uh, I'd, I'd really love to see driverless cars get the fast track no pun intended to get on the road as quickly as possible.
3: Yeah. Is there any update on How many states allow it? I know Nevada is one. and one Limited in other.
2: California. And then I, I believe there, you're right, there was one other one. And I want to say West Virginia or something like that. But, but you know, I, I, think, I think there's going to be a move towards it at the state level a lot more quickly, shortly, because they're going to want the innovation to come to their state so i think that's a good thing but I, but my my reasons are purely this i think this is going to save a lot of lives that's why
3: yep Well, no doubt about it no doubt didn't you tell me a couple of weeks ago when we talked and uh, about uh, didn't a google car hit a bus
2: yes yes it, it's and, the first, and, and that's the first time that it's been blamed on google's technology it wasn't right. know, where it you know, good They've been involved in accidents, but usually they've been rear-ended for either you know coming to a complete stop at a stop sign, <laughs> <Right. line. laughs> <laughs> which right. I'd probably uh, hit them too. <laughs> yeah, well, well, and that's what we talked about last time on Freerider. the 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 kid who who came up with the the way of you know teaching the car to learn how to drive the way you drive, right? Which that's I think so is phenomenal. interesting. was phenomenal. But yes, but but uh, Google's car did hit a bus. It was it was a very minor fender bender, but but Google came out and said, "Yep, it was us clearly," yep. and it was our stuff. And but you know they can make it better now. They can make it better.
3: Absolutely, that I'm like you said, glad it happened. You know, yep. Get over with. No, that's that's awesome. I I do look forward to that. That's that's and I think it's happening a lot quicker than we think. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I do. I really do. I'm I, you know, I, I'm on record with with several of my friends, and this goes back about four years ago. And the only reason why I remember it was four years ago is because my son, Sean, was six at the time, and he's 10 now. And I said to a guy, we were at a, a house party, I said, I, I'm going to bet you that by the time our sons have to learn how to drive or could learn how to drive at 16, they won't have to. And... He took the bet, so we'll we'll see. I think I think it's a it's a it's a nice dinner out. So we'll see in another six years. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, that's great.
3: Well, Ed, my uh, next up is I've got uh, how about Uber for trucking? You, you know, this was fascinating. This is again out of the Economist from March fifth of uh, this year. It's called the Appy Trucker. So, and this fascinated me. The top five airlines, and this is these are U.S. numbers. Uh, The top five airlines account for 90% of the revenues. The top five logistic firms account for 20%. So that market is much, much more fragmented than the airline market. And that market is $700 billion a year. It's projected to grow 3% a year for the next decade you know, partly because of, you know, shipping with uh, the the internet and all of that, right, and distribution channels. Um, But trucks drive empty 28% of their total miles, 50 Mm. billion miles a year. They are empty, which is 28% of the total. It's 25%, by the way, in Europe. Now, because there's low barriers to entry in this industry, and there, there's a middleman, there are brokers. and the brokers charge uh, 45% of, of the cost of arranging a haul, right? But they're really inefficient, requires lots of emails and phone calls back and forth. So various apps are starting up, Cargomatic in Los Angeles. Um, there's another one called Transfix in New York. and these are arranging you know for truckers that have Empty capacity to take hauls back with them so because you know truckers' uh, number of hours on the road is is limited by law. They can only drive so many hours. So when they're when they're empty, it's, it's kind of like a double whammy. And these apps are making it easier for them to find, just like Uber makes it easier for you to find passengers or vice versa. Same is happening with trucking and and hauls. So it's getting their it's getting their load factor. Uh, increased, and these things are also arranging payments, you know to be made quicker and there's more transparency. Mm-hmm. Amazon is starting uh, something called On My Way, which will allow any member of the public to get paid for delivering packages. Wow. And I want to tie this to something else, Ed, because this was really fascinating. Russ Roberts, who does the podcast that I know you love and I love it too, oh, Econ yeah. Talk, he interviewed the author of a book. Uh, her name is Marina Kravowski. And she wrote the book, The Middleman Economy. And she says, we're all middlemen. This talk about you know, the internet being you know, disintermediating everybody, is is mm-hmm. way overblown. In, in fact it's doing nothing but creating more middleman and uber and these trucking apps and if you think of things like you know open table to, to book restaurant reservations Craigslist even uh, there's a couple other ones that are coming on board car lots to to arrange for used car sales between buyers and sellers um, you know these these people play an incredibly valuable role in the economy and she lists out six roles that a, that a middleman, um, has, and her favorite example seems to be a lot. They spend a lot of time talking about a wedding planner, right? Cause mm-hmm. a wedding planner just knows everything, knows where to get silver, silver, you know, tablecloths or, or whatever, right? Knows, knows the bride and knows what the bride wants and her tastes and all of that, but can also match that with the right supplier, be it the photographer, florist, whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. So, it's an incredibly important role, if you think about it. And and the sixth role she identifies for the middleman is concierge, insulator, kind of like an agent, you know, the sports agent between the star and negotiating with the team or whatever, the enforcer. Right. So, the enforcer <laughs> of quality. So, she made a really good point, you know, that the florist is going to want to do right by the wedding planner probably more than doing right. By the bride, if the bride hired her, you know, you know the photographer, the florist individually, there's, right, not, right, there's right. not much of an incentive. So she calls that role the enforcer. The risk bearer, somebody's taking a certain amount of risk of the transaction onto themselves. The bridge, you know, obviously between uh, these relationships and the certifier right because it's your reputation just like if Macy's buys a product and stocks it in its store they're certifying that it's, it's it's got some level of quality so it's kind of we'd say reputation i think but same type of concept but it was a fascinating podcast i really enjoyed it she's got a book out on it and um, it was really interesting, but it, it, it was a great point that the middleman uh, has not been reduced. If anything, it's grown in this economy. And that's kind of her argument. And the other statistics she threw out, Ed, which blew my mind, I kind of knew this, but I didn't know how severe it was, the power sellers. There's a designation power seller on eBay. They comprise 4% of the sellers on eBay and 50% of the sales. Wow. And there's people on Craigslist kind of that do the same thing. They same don't have a thing. designation, mm-hmm. but they're kind of like a perpetual garage sale. You know, they're buying appliances or whatever. They scoop them up when they see a great price. Maybe somebody's trying to get the cash. They're moving, whatever. And then they'll scoop it up, actually take possession of it, store it in a garage. She was talking about a guy she interviewed. And then turn around and sell it at, at, at a better price, you know, higher mm-hmm. price, obviously. And, you know, this one guy's making 15, grand grand a week doing this. So, and it's yep. all off Craigslist.
2: Yep, yep, yep. I mean, so, it, 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 it's it's interesting. I mean, it's a lot of work, clearly, to do absolutely. that. But you know, yep. but, but hey, that's people, working for
3: people. Yeah, some people can do it, and and uh, you know, I know there's a lot of arbitrage going on. I remember re- re- reading a book about a guy who sold Birkin handbags. You know, these 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 uh, 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 what is it, Hermes or whatever makes this handbags thirty grand. You, you, they're very difficult to get. You have to go on a waiting list, but he figured out a way to get them, and he'd sell them around the world on eBay and you know to celebrities and other rich people, and they'd pay top dollar for him, you know, mm-hmm. two three times what he paid for it. Uh, <laughs> they didn't have to wait two or three years, and uh, so those folks are out there, and it's just it, and you know, you think about it, you start thinking about the role of the middleman, and we all kind of you know people think the middleman's a parasite, he's living off other people's efforts, he doesn't really do anything. But when you think about it in the taxonomy that she's laid out here, these six roles, you realize, you know, middlemen are critical to the economy. Mm -hmm. And in one way or the other, even you and I are middlemen right? Whether it's when <laughs> we transfer knowledge, right? We're, we're uh, mil-
2: I was going to say, we're a right now, we're, right? We're, yeah, we're absolutely. So. Ho- hopefully informing <laughs> some of our listeners on stuff that they haven't, didn't get a chance to pay attention to this, this, uh, this month. So that's exactly what we're doing, really. I, I think you're right. I think, you know, and the, the biggest point that I heard you, you make in that, that were the one, I should say, that jumped out the most at me was the enforcer one, because you're right. I mean, look, that that bride, I mean, unless she's Elizabeth Taylor II, is not going to get married more than that's right. Twice. <laughs> right? Maybe, hopefully, once. That's but right. No more than twice. But that wedding planner, that wedding planner is going to be, you know, bringing business what once, once, uh, two or three times a month, possibly. So Absolutely. that's that's a big deal, and that and you wouldn't want to lose that account. So yeah, great point. Yeah, yeah, really
3: good, which makes me wonder why Virgin Bride, you know, Richard Branson's company, failed, but uh, that's another story, so. <laughs> well, anyway, folks, we're up against a break here, and I'd like to remind you, you can follow us at, at full show notes we'll have posted at com. and we know many of you listen on demand, and we'd love it if you could rate the show on iTunes. That would be wonderful, and now we want to hear from our sponsor, Azamba.
1: We believe great companies can become even greater by challenging the status quo within their companies. The latest challenge to your status quo? The way people buy has changed. Buyers now control the majority of the front end of the sales process. Sellers must learn to facilitate a buying process, not conduct a sales process. Social buying signals are an opportunity for sales. Learn more. Go to quantacrm.com ABC to request a copy of the white paper. Always be closing a guide to the new art of social selling. Have you ever read a book that changed your life?
2: here on Friday at the Soul of Enterprise Ron have you heard of the Ethereum
3: No Okay enlighten me
2: The Ethereum This is a concept that I just heard about last 2 weeks and the idea of the Ethereum is a transformative technology for the internet Now mm. I'm not going to call it the next internet I'm going to call it a transformative t- technology that sits on top of the Internet. And right. think Bitcoin blockchain completely on steroids. Yeah. Wow. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. So the concept is, and this is, this is starting to be put out there now, it's the Ethereum. And that's E-T-H-E-R-E-U-M, for those of you who want to look that up, the Ethereum. And the idea is that taking the t- t- blockchain-like technology and then creating applications that run using the blockchain, blockchain technology across distributed servers as opposed to you know, companies like Facebook, Google, eBay, and Amazon controlling them. But So imagine a, an app, a Facebook-like app, that is controlled by no one. Right. Yep. Because it's completely distributed. Yep. Right? Imagine an Amazon-type thing that's completely controlled by no one and and connects buyers and sellers together. The example that was given on a great video done by Reason.TV, and we'll post it up on the show notes, was this and i forget the name of the the peer-to-peer technology that they're doing that to for the replacement for say iTunes. And the way it works is 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 the artist creates their content and then puts a selling price on it, say a dollar, and then splits the commission right then and there or, or or builds into the system how it gets split up. So he or she might get 50 cents and they're going to pay the drummer two cents and they're going to pay the songwriter 25 cents or whatever, whatever it, it is. Yep. And then when the money comes in, it just automatically through a, a, a small transaction gets distributed out to all of those people immediately.
3: <laughs> yeah. You, you know, Gilder's been talking about micro forever. <laughs> You even mentioned it with us, but this this blockchain technology, I, 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 my head spins thinking about the ramifications of it more than the driverless car. Mm-hmm. Because yep. it's it's got untold number of applications.
2: Exactly, exactly, and this this is this is some pretty interesting stuff. Honestly, I was I was questioning myself as to whether or not I should bring this up because. I'm not sure. I complete well. I know I don't completely understand it, and and I was wondering, do I even understand this enough to talk about it at all?
3: <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I read some of this stuff, and my head my head begins to spin, and especially on the blockchain because there's not a lot out there on it yet. You know, at least not for laymen. I mean, there's technical things about programming and all of that, but just in terms of of you know how it can be used and the functions it can perform. There's not a lot out there yet, so we're just kind of playing on the edge here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just I mean, that's think about all
2: think about think about all of those 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 data server farms that go away, right? Because now we're distributing that. And yeah. what, what what were we talking earlier this week? I think you said that you know two percent of the world's electricity is used by these server farms, right? Right. Yep.
3: And it, well, it's a great segue, Ed, to, and I can't wait to see that Reason TV video. That, that'll be great. So we'll definitely get that into the show notes. But this is a great segue into the topic I want to talk to you about, which is from The Economist. This is their technology quarterly. So it's the special insert they do every quarter talking about tech. And this one is totally dedicated to after Moore's Law. Mm-hmm. And Here's the thing. They say glory, the, the Moore's Law, which is computers, computer power doubles every two years at the same cost. That's essentially what Moore's Law is. And right. it's had a glorious 50-year run. Now, <laughs> they're saying that it's starting to hit a wall. Let me just give you an example of this. In 1971, Intel puts out its first processor, the 4004. It's got 2300 tiny transistors each the size approximately of a red blood cell okay if you can think about that they said these 2300 tiny transistors could be counted by a kid with a with a decent microscope intel skylake processor today has 1.75 billion <laughs> transistors Its size is, I can't even fathom this, Ed, 100 atoms across is the size. It's 400,000 times more powerful than the 4004 from 1971. The economist says if cars and skyscrapers improved at the same rate as this, it would mean that cars could go one-tenth the speed of light today and the tallest building would reach approximately halfway to the moon. Now, the, the Moore's Law has been stalling. Uh, roughly now it's been doubling every two and a half years. Because one of the things they point out is it's never really been a law. It's been kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, right. But, but what this whole survey says, and I just found it fascinating as a, as a complete layman on this. They say that it, computers are still going to get more powerful don't don't kid yourself. They're just going to do it in different and varied ways. And they list three three reason or three uh, uh, reasons for that. They said the software is going to get better. So if, if you're bumping up against limitations to hardware, right, mm-hmm. you're going to do more clever software. And and the example is things like deep learning, right. So like your your, your driverless car guy who the car is mimicking you. You know, I mm-hmm. think that's a deep learning software program. Is that fair to say?
2: It is, yes.
3: And and Watson, to some extent, is is got embedded deep learning in it. And so, and and we're going another thing in my stack is AlphaGo that just beat the uh, the the world's best uh, Go player. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yep. But so, software is gonna get better. Two is the cloud because you have these data server farms. You've got a lot of processing power there that can be bundled and, and assigned a specific task. So they project that the cloud grew 30% in 2015 year on year, and they can, they forecast that growth is to continue until about 2018. So those data farms that take 2% of the world's electricity are probably going to grow at least for a while. And the third reason, uh, this Moore's laws is is not going to slow down so much is specialized chips. Um, Many more companies now are getting into the chip design business. <laughs> HP, Google, IBM, and Microsoft are entering the chip design business, and they've each got their own, you know, design. Microsoft has this thing called Catapult, and others are trying to stack chips like you know block towers and things like that. It's really some fascinating stuff, um, but what I found interesting also is of course, they're talking about, they're going to have to find a replacement for Silicon. So they're looking at Silicon germanium what is it? Germanian alloy graphene. Right. And then There's a, a lead researcher at Microsoft. And I found this guy fascinating. They've got a little sidebar on him. I forget what's his name. Bruno Michael. He's a IBM researcher in, in, in the uh, lakes in Lake Zurich. And, he wants to bring biological principles to this because he thinks the computer is completely inefficient, say, compared to the human brain. And he's trying to produce what he calls electronic blood. Which would provide energy and regulate the temperature because, as you know, temperature is a big thing here, right? As you stack more transistors on these things, it heats up and it has to be cooled down and all of that. Well, the electronic blood, as they call it, would be able to, you know, self-regulate just like our body, which I, I found that just absolutely fascinating. <laughs> but um, you know, one and, and another guy from Microsoft, a guy named Peter Lee. I wish I came up with this line, Ed. He's the vice president for Microsoft Research. He said the number of people predicting the death of Moore's Law doubles every two years. <laughs> 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 and so basically, they said, you know, the trade-offs on the three key metrics of these chips—power, uh, performance, and cost—are are gonna are gonna change. You know the calculations are going to change because we are bumping up against some physical limits here. But they said because of these other things, and because of the new innovation coming into chip design itself by these other companies, Google, HP, etc., that you know you're going to see this probably continue, um, and and it's just going to be different. It's going to it's just going to be different and more varied than just doubling every year on a on a chip. Um, and, and they also said, remember, consumers don't care about Moore's Law. What they really want is just, you know, uh, <laughs> useful products, uh, and and the companies want to make more money. So they, they, they left it on a pretty optimistic note that don't bet against this. It's going to still get – computers are still going to get better.
2: I, oh, without question, cr- computers are going to get better. And a c- and couple of quick comments on this before our last break, but – I, I, yes, I think you're right. The consumers don't care, and that's actually I think one of the reasons why it slowed a little bit. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, and maybe it's just because I buy Apple, but I keep a laptop now probably four years, right? Absolutely. Whereas I can, well, I can I can remember back in in the you know the big cycle days of this stuff is like I couldn't keep a laptop more than a year because it would slow down so much. From from the advances because the hardware was having trouble keeping up with the the software from yep. really from a bloat standpoint to be honest with you it's it's poor coding but now I don't think that that's the case I don't I don't I, I don't find that I, I need from a hardware perspective to replace as often as I once did right uh, so I think that's that you know that's that's from a consumer standpoint the second thing that I want to bring up is you, you know you mentioned the whole graphene thing and. Uh, and and this the stacking of chips, yep. I've always wondered about this, and I'm not an engineer, and not a technical engineer, but I, I definitely want to ask someone who ha- might have some knowledge about this, and if any of our listeners do, please feel please share it with with us. You know, all of the, the these these chips, Ron, it that it, it's only they only operate in two dimensions, really. Yes. Right. Yep. Yep. It, they only operate in two dimensions. So it's, you know, it's a, it's about landscape and in a way it's almost about real estate. You know, how much can you cram into a wafer or whatever? Right. Yep. Well, what if it, what if they, if they got to the point where, where, where the, 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 they get down at the atomic level where you can begin to have three dimensional computing, three dimensional chips that where, where hmm. it's not just on off, but it's, one of, I don't know, six or eight or even 16 states that the electrons can flow in. I mean, I, I don't even, can't even begin to understand how that might even work, but that's something that has always popped into my mind. Like, what if you could go three dimensional on it?
3: They, they don't, I'm not sure they talk about 3D in this said, but they do talk and they even have some diagrams of these different chip designs from like Microsoft and IBM and the different approaches that these companies are taking. And right. they just say, look, the end of Moore's Law is inflection point. We're just going to have to get more radical in chip design. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to think outside of the chip, basically. And right. it's fascinating. I mean, the drawings that they do have in this survey are really cool. So really encourage you to take a look at it. I'd love your, love your take on this, and, and we'll try and post this. I think The Economist sits behind a firewall, so I'm not sure if people are going to be able to access this, but I'll put a link up uh, to whatever I find on it anyway and yep. hope for the best. So, But just, just fascinating. I just Even Gordon Moore says Moore's Law is going to end by 2025. Other people said, Ed, that it's going to go out to 2,600. Wow. <laughs> so... You know, but no doubt it's going to get better. And and one another thing they said, you know, without Moore's law, we wouldn't have these cell phones in our pockets. No, nope. it, it just wouldn't even be possible. Nope. So I, I, I this is just to me an untold story. I just think it's it's just amazing. It's the epitome of capitalism and creative destruction and constant innovation. Um and and it's just an untold story about how how miraculous this has been. And and I don't think we pause and take and, and, and look at it and go, Wow. I just think we kinda take it for granted, which I know can, we consumers do, but somebody needs to step back and go, Wow. You don't see Cuba doing this.
2: <laughs> All right, Ron, take us to the break. <laughs> My, mind's right, My mind's blown. My mind's blown.
3: All right, folks, you can email Ed or myself at AskTSOE at varsage dot com and we will have full show notes up on the soul of dot com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Sage.
2: Follow us on Twitter at
0: VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Four new employees, a 20% increase in revenue. Being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S., these are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit BelieveInYourNumbers.com today.
1: Have you ever read a book that changed your life?
2: Free riding here on Friday on the Soul of Enterprise. And, Ron, before we get back into free riding, I want to just make some mention of some live events that you and I are going to be at. And we would love for our listeners to attend if they can, stop by if you're in the area. Um, All of these events, as far as I know, are open to the public, meaning you can go. Some of them do have... Prices associated with them if you actually want to attend the event, but if we're going to be in your area, please do let us know. The first one, of course, that I'm going to mention is the Texas Libertarian Party presidential debate featuring Gary Johnson and John McAfee and three others will be in San Antonio on Friday night. April 8th, and that is in San Antonio, and we'll put this, um, we're putting all of these up on the website, folks. We do have a section now called Live Events, so please go and visit that. We are going to be at the ITA conference, the Information Technology Alliance. We're delivering our keynote session on top 10 business myths, and that is on the 17th of April in Houston, Texas, so two Texas dates right in a row, Ron. You're going to come down and visit me. I love it. Yep. I know, going to be fun, going to be fun. I am doing an online webinar on healing leadership, the, su- the subject that we've had Howard Hanson and Steve Jesky on, on April 20th, and then our next event after that is in Chicago, Illinois. Both Ron and I will be at the Professional Pricing Society. We're doing a two-day workshop, and that's going to be some exciting stuff. Mr. Spock versus Homer, Homer Simpson. We've talked about that a number of times on the radio show as well. I am also going to be run in London at AccountX on Wednesday, May 11th, talking about strategy in small businesses. And then I'm also going to be back here in Dallas on the 12th. So think about that. Yeah. <laughs> doing, <yep. laughs> do, do it, do it, doing a session on culture and strategy at the, the uh, Lyceum event that is sponsored by a company called Think Leverage here in Dallas. And that's going to be a fantastic event. One of the, the the keynote speakers, aside from myself, is a guy by the name of James L. Capra. And ready for this, Ron he he, he was he was the head of the DEA. Wow. So we're going to have the libertarian and the head of the DEA. Wow. <laughs> That that's some fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> He's a great guy. We've we've had some pre pre meeting sessions, and then the last one I do want to mention, Ron. This is your event at the Mirren Conference that is in New York City you with bet. our uh, our Verisage. Uh, our Verisage fellow uh, Tim Williams. So that's an for ad ad agencies. So any of these events, please stop by. We'd love to see you and uh, say hello. So,
3: and Ed, uh, just one more thing on the Professional Pricing Society in Chicago in May. That's May third and May fourth. Uh, but for the regular conference, the keynote speaker, folks, is Rory Sutherland. So yeah. if you have any interest in pricing, uh, that would be one conference you wouldn't want to miss. I love the title of his presentation, Ed. It is uh, A Flower is Just a Weed with a Marketing Budget.
2: <laughs> He's a riot. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so listen, we, we only have a few minutes left, and I have a very quick one that I want to share with you, Ron. So I had a friend of mine who had a, a heart situation recently, and where he was located was 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 it, uh, somewhat difficult to get to. It wasn't at home. Right. Mm-hmm. And he, he decided instead of calling an ambulance to call an Uber Uber. Wow. And you know, he checked on the phone and it was like, there was an Uber like two minutes away and that's what he did. And the, and the hospital sp- staff was more fascinated by the fact that he did an Uber than the ambulance. And the deal was, is the guy, the guy said, yeah, I think it probably saved your life. So. <laughs> wow.
3: That, that's, that's just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome um so well the, la- the last thing i have ed is AlphaGo, which is a, a british company that uh, google bought and um, it's the epitome we were talking about deep learning and that's what this thing is and it played the world's best go player now this is a, a, a ancient chinese game that's played big time and in Japan and South Korea, and apparently the best player in the world is this guy Lee Sedol. I am not sure if I'm saying that right, but he's like, uh, you know, the world's best Go player. And I guess when you play Go, you you play in a series, uh, best of five. And Google's AlphaGo machine beat him four to one, and he predicted that he would he would beat it. By five to zero, or possibly four to one. Um, but here, here's just to put this in perspective. Now, we all know that Deep Blue beat Gary Kasparov, right? Right, Kasparinov. Kasparov. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And in chess, you, there are possibly 10 to the 47th power permutations of moves. And mm-hmm. chess is very well defined because, right, a, a, a queen is always better than a pawn and, you know, and so forth. That's not the case in Go. Go, you know, is is a bigger board, but, and you've got black and white stones, but the value of those stones depend on their relative position. So they're not fixed like the players in, in a chess, on a chessboard. The combinations, rather than being 10 to 47th power in Go, it's 10th. Ten to the hundred seventieth power, <laughs> and this Alpha uh, Go did it by, you know, just grinding through data, uh, big data, just watching online games and and just learning by imitation. again, back to the guy's driverless car, right? That's mimicking your driving, mm-hmm. uh, and and it's just uh, it's just absolutely fascinating. And the thing is, these machines are just going to get better at this. Because right, as we saw it, in the last segment, Moore's law isn't going to slow down.
2: It, right, it's going to slow right. down, but it's not going to go away. And this is, and again, you could. So the point I think is, Ron, right? That you that because it's ten to the whatever one hundred and fifty something, you can't. It can't do just brute force calculations in order right. to win.
3: It's got. It's got to do more. intuition and and other things it's it's mimicking obviously from other games that it's learned but yes it's it's not just doing the brute force it it's also kind of learning i guess that's why they call these things deep learning machines
2: right now isn't i mean i I might have this wrong but isn't go what what you know we we grew up playing othello isn't that the same game is that the same game or is it different I,
3: you know, what? I'm not sure 'cause I'm not sure because I don't know that game and I've never, I I, I don't have oh, okay. to compare this go to. I've looked at the board, but I haven't studied the rules enough. All I know is that, you know, you have these black and white stones and their value depends on where they are in the board. So it changes and, and mm. you know, it's 10 to the 170th power, <laughs> which is a lot more complicated than chess. So I just just found that absolutely interesting. And, and one last thing, just a shout out to Bryce. Bryce, I know you sent us an email. You asked us an incredibly difficult question, by the way. Um, and I, I do want to get to this, hopefully, maybe on another show, Ed. But I uh, just I just want to mention that. So thank you for that, Bryce. Sounds Ed, good. What's well. on store for next week?
2: Well, we're going to have our second uh, attempt to—well, not attempt. We did interview him last time. Rabbi Daniel Lappin is going to be back with us on the Soul of Enterprise, so I'm really looking forward to that. So, my
3: radio rabbi, I, I yep. really, yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'll see you 167 hours, Ed.
2: This has been the soul of enterprise business in the knowledge economy sponsored by Sage energizing the success of businesses and communities around the world through the imagination of our people and smart technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.